0: Hello and welcome to Leftist Reading, a podcast from a leftist and I read things. Today we're continuing with Mao's On Practice and Contradiction, and we're in the Chunky Contradiction chapter. Last week started off the chapter and set up the idea of contradiction where it's about a struggle of opposites, is the way I've seen it phrased succinctly elsewhere where it's basically about opposing forces, opposing natures, opposing aspects of a thing, and how they are at odds, or in conflict, or various other things. It's a pretty broad definition, and the previous two chapters set it up to try and basically get to where we are in this chapter, where we're going to explore the nature of these contradictions, and how they function, and how to parse them and examine them. So, let's start this section. Section 3. The Particularity of Contradiction Contradiction is present in the process of development of all things. It permeates the process of development of each thing from beginning to end. This is the universality and absoluteness of contradiction which we have discussed above. Now let us discuss the particularity and relativity of contradiction. This problem should be studied on several levels. First, the contradiction in each form of motion of matter has its particularity. Man's knowledge of matter is knowledge of its forms of motion, because there is nothing in this world except matter in motion, and this motion must assume certain forms. In considering each form of motion of matter, we must observe the points which it has in common with other forms of motion. But what is especially important and necessary, constituting as it does the foundation of our knowledge of a thing, is to observe what is particular to this form of motion of matter namely to observe the qualitative difference between this form of motion and other forms. Only when we have done so can we distinguish between things. Every form of motion contains within itself its own particular contradiction. This particular contradiction constitutes the particular essence which distinguishes one thing from another. It is the internal cause, or as it may be called, the basis for the immense variety of things in the world. There are many forms of motion in nature, mechanical motion, sound, light, heat, electricity, dissociation, combination, and so on. All these forms are interdependent, but in its essence each is different from the others, The particular essence of each form of motion is determined by its own particular contradiction. This holds true not only for nature, but also for special and ideological phenomena. Every form of society, every form of ideology, has its own particular contradiction and particular essence. The sciences are differentiated precisely on the basis of the particular contradictions inherent in their respective objects of study, Thus, the contradiction peculiar to a certain field of phenomena constitutes the object of study for a specific branch of science. For example, positive and negative numbers in mathematics, action and reaction in mathematics, positive and negative electricity in physics, dissociation and combination in chemistry, forces of production and relations of production, classes and class struggle in social science, offense and defense in military science, idealism and materialism, the metaphysical outlook and the dialectical outlook in philosophy, and so on. All these are the objects of study of different branches of science precisely because each branch has its own particular contradiction and particular essence. Of course, unless we understand the universality of contradiction, we have no way of discovering the universal cause or universal basis for the movement or development of things. However, unless we study the particularity of contradiction, we have no way of determining the particular essence of a thing, which differentiates it from other things. No way of discovering the particular cause or particular basis for the movement or development of a thing and no way of distinguishing one thing from another or of demarcating the fields of science. As regards the sequence in the movement of man's knowledge, there is always a gradual growth from the knowledge of individual and particular things to the knowledge of things in general. Only after man knows the particular essence of many different things can he proceed to generalization and know the common essence of things. When man attains the knowledge of this common essence, he uses it as a guide and proceeds to study various concrete things which have not yet been studied, or studied thoroughly, and to discover the particular essence of each. Only thus is he able to supplement, enrich, and develop his knowledge of their common essence and prevent such knowledge from withering or petrifying. These are the two processes of cognition one from the particular to the general, and the other from the general to the particular. Thus cognition always moves in cycles, and, so long as scientific method is strictly adhered to, each cycle advances human knowledge a step higher, and so makes it more and more profound. Where our dogmatists err on this question is that, on the one hand, they do not understand that we have to study the particularity of contradiction, and know the particular essence of individual things before we can adequately know the universality of contradiction and the common essence of things, and that, on the other hand, they do not understand that, after knowing the common essence of things, we must go further, and study the concrete things that have not yet been thoroughly studied or have only just emerged. Our dogmatists are lazybones. They refuse to undertake any painstaking study of concrete things. They regard general truths as emerging out of the void. They turn them into purely abstract, unfathomable formulae, and thereby completely deny and reverse the normal sequence by which man comes to know truth. Nor do they understand the interconnection of the two processes in cognition, from the particular to the general, and then from the general to the particular. They understand nothing of the Marxist theory of knowledge. It is necessary not only to study the particular contradiction and the essence determined thereby of every great system of the forms of motion of matter, but also to study the particular contradiction and the essence of each process in the long course of development of each form of motion of matter. In every form of motion, Each process of development which is real, and not imaginary, is qualitatively different. Our study must emphasize and start from this point. Qualitatively different contradictions can only be resolved by qualitatively different methods. For instance, the contradiction between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie is resolved by the method of socialist revolution. The contradiction between the great masses of the people and the feudal system is resolved by the method of democratic revolution. The contradiction between the colonies and imperialism is resolved by the method of national revolutionary war. The contradiction between the working class and the peasant class in socialist society is resolved by the method of collectivization and mechanization in agriculture. Contradiction within the communist party is resolved by the method of criticism and self-criticism. The contradiction between society and nature is resolved by the method of developing the productive forces. Processes change. Old processes and old contradictions disappear, new processes and new contradictions emerge, and the methods of resolving contradictions differ accordingly. In Russia, there is a fundamental difference between the contradiction resolved by the February Revolution and the contradiction resolved by the October Revolution, as well as between the methods used to resolve them. The principle of using different methods to resolve different contradictions is one which Marxist-Leninists must strictly observe. The dogmatists do not observe this principle. They do not understand that conditions differ in different kinds of revolution and so do not understand that different methods should be used to resolve different contradictions. On the contrary, they invariably adopt what they imagine to be an unalterable formula and arbitrarily apply it everywhere, which only causes setbacks to the revolution, or makes a sorry mess of what was originally well done. In order to reveal the particularity of the contradictions in any process in the development of a thing, in their totality or interconnections, that is, in order to reveal the essence of the process, it is necessary to reveal the particularity of the two aspects of each of the contradictions in that process. Otherwise, it will be impossible to discover the essence of the process. This likewise requires the utmost attention in our study. There are many contradictions in the course of the development of any major thing. For instance, in the course of China's bourgeois democratic revolution, where the conditions are exceedingly complex, There exists the contradiction between all the oppressed classes in Chinese society and imperialism, the contradiction between the great masses of the people and feudalism, the contradiction between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, the contradiction between the peasantry and the urban petty bourgeoisie on the one hand and the bourgeoisie on the other, the contradiction between the various reactionary ruling groups, and so on. These contradictions cannot be treated in the same way, since each has its own particularity. Moreover, the two aspects of each contradiction cannot be treated in the same way, since each aspect has its own characteristics. We who are engaged in the Chinese Revolution should not only understand the particularity of these conditions in their totality, that is, in their interconnections, we should also study the two aspects of each contradiction as the only means of understanding the totality. When we speak of understanding each aspect of a contradiction, we mean understanding what specific position each aspect occupies, what concrete forms it assumes in its interdependence and in its contradiction with the opposite, and what concrete methods are employed in the struggle with its opposite when the two are both interdependent and in contradiction, and also after the interdependence breaks down. It is of great importance to study these problems. Lenin meant just this when he said that the most essential thing in Marxism, the living soul of Marxism, is the concrete analysis of concrete conditions. Footnote 10. Our dogmatists have violated Lenin's teachings. They never use their brains to analyze anything concretely, and in their writings and speeches they always use stereotypes devoid of content, thereby creating a very bad style of work in our party. In studying a problem, we must shun subjectivity, one-sidedness, and superficiality. To be subjective means not to look at problems objectively, that is, not to use the materialist viewpoint in looking at problems. I have discussed this in my essay, On Practice, this volume, chapter 3. To be one-sided means not to look at problems all-sidedly. For example, to understand only China, but not Japan. Only the Communist Party, but not the Kuomintang. Only the proletariat, but not the bourgeoisie. Only the peasants, but not the landlords. Only the favorable conditions, but not the difficult ones. Only the past, but not the future only individual parts, but not the whole, only the defects, but not the achievements, only the plaintiff's case, but not the defendants, only underground revolutionary work, but not open revolutionary work, and so on. In a word, it means not to understand the characteristics of both aspects of a contradiction. This is what we mean by looking at a problem one-sidedly, or it may be called, seeing the part but not the whole seeing the trees, but not the forest. That way, it is impossible to find the method for resolving a contradiction. It is impossible to accomplish the tasks of the revolution, to carry out assignments well, or to develop inner-party ideological struggle correctly. When Sun Tzu said in discussing military science, know the enemy and know yourself, and you can fight a hundred battles with no danger of defeat. Footnote 11. He was referring to the two sides in a battle. Wei Chang, footnote 12, of the Tang Dynasty, also understood the error of one-sidedness when he said, Listen to both sides and you will be enlightened. Heed only one side and you will be benighted. But our comrades often look at problems one-sidedly, and so they often run into snags. In the novel Shi Hu Xuan, Sun Qiang thrice attacked Shu Village footnote 13. Twice he was defeated because he was ignorant of the local conditions and used the wrong method. Later he changed his method. First he investigated the situation and familiarized himself with the maze of roads. Then he broke up the alliance between the Li, Hu and Shua villages and sent his men in disguise into the enemy camp to lie in wait, using a stratagem similar to that of the Trojan horse in the foreign story. And on the third occasion he won, there are many examples of materialist dialectics in Shi Hu Xuan, of which the episode of the Three Attacks on Shu Village is one of the best. Lenin said, quote, In order really to know an object, we must embrace, study all its sides, all connections and mediations. We shall never achieve this completely, but the demand for all sidedness is a safeguard against mistakes and rigidity. End quote. Footnote 14 we should remember his words. To be superficial means to consider neither the characteristics of a contradiction in its totality, nor the characteristics of each of its aspects. It means to deny the necessity for probing deeply into a thing, and minutely studying the characteristics of its contradiction, instead merely looking from afar and, after glimpsing the rough outline, immediately trying to resolve the contradiction in order to answer a question, settle a dispute, handle work or direct a military operation. This way of doing things is bound to lead to trouble. The reason the dogmatist and empiricist comrades in China have made mistakes lies precisely in their subjectivist, one-sided and superficial way of looking at things. To be one-sided and superficial is at the same time to be subjective for all objective things are actually interconnected and are governed by inner laws. But instead of undertaking the task of reflecting things as they really are, some people only look at things one-sidedly or superficially, and so know neither their interconnections nor their inner laws. Their method is therefore subjectivist. Not only does the whole process of the movement of opposites in the development of a thing, both in their interconnections and in each of the aspects, have particular features to which we must give attention, but each stage in the process has its particular features to which we must give attention to. The fundamental contradiction in the process of development of a thing and the essence of the process determined by this fundamental contradiction will not disappear until the process is completed. But in a lengthy process, the conditions usually differ at each stage – The reason is that, although the nature of the fundamental contradiction in the process of development of a thing and the essence of the process remain unchanged, the fundamental contradiction becomes more and more intensified, as it passes from one stage to another in the lengthy process. In addition, among the numerous major and minor contradictions which are determined or influenced by the fundamental contradiction, some become more intense some are temporarily or partially resolved or mitigated, and some new ones emerge. Hence, the process is marked by stages. If people do not pay attention to the stages in the process of development of a thing, they cannot deal with its contradictions properly. For instance, when the capitalism of the era of free competition developed into imperialism, there was no change in the class nature of the two classes in fundamental contradiction namely, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, or in the capitalist essence of society. However, the contradiction between these two classes became intensified. The contradiction between monopoly and non-monopoly capital emerged. The contradiction between the colonial powers and the colonies deepened. The contradiction among the capitalist countries, resulting from their uneven development, manifested itself with particular sharpness, and thus there arose the special stage of capitalism the stage of imperialism. Leninism is the Marxism of the era of imperialism and proletarian revolution, precisely because Lenin and Stalin have correctly explained these contradictions and correctly formulated the theory and tactics of the proletarian revolution for their resolution. Take the process of China's bourgeois democratic revolution, which began with the revolution of 1911. It, too, has several distinct stages. In particular, the revolution in its period of bourgeois leadership and the revolution in its period of proletarian leadership represent two vastly different historical stages. In other words, proletarian leadership has fundamentally changed the whole face of the revolution, has brought about a new alignment of classes, given rise to a tremendous upsurge in the peasant revolution, imparted thoroughness to the revolution against imperialism and feudalism, created the possibility of the transition from the democratic revolution to the socialist revolution, and so on. None of these was possible in the period when the revolution was under bourgeois leadership, although no change has taken place in the nature of the fundamental contradiction in the process as a whole, i.e. in the anti-imperialist, anti-feudal, democratic revolutionary nature of the process, the opposite of which is its semi-colonial and semi-feudal nature, Nonetheless, this process has passed through several stages of development in the course of more than 20 years. During this time, many great events have taken place. The failure of the revolution of 1911, and the establishment of the regime of the Northern Warlords, the formation of the First National United Front, and the revolution of 1924-27, the breakup of the United Front, and the desertion of the bourgeoisie to the side of the counter-revolution the wars among the new warlords, the agrarian revolutionary war, the establishment of the second national united front, and the war of resistance against Japan. These stages are marked by particular features such as the intensification of certain contradictions, e.g. the agrarian revolutionary war and the Japanese invasion of the four northeastern provinces, the partial or temporary resolution of other contradictions, e.g. the destruction of the northern warlords and our confiscation of the land of the warlords, and the emergence of yet other contradictions, e.g. the conflicts among the new warlords, and the landlord's recapture of the land after the loss of our revolutionary base areas in the south. In studying the particularities of the contradictions at each stage in the process of the development of a thing, we must not only observe them in their interconnections or their totality, We must also examine the two aspects of each contradiction. For instance, consider the Kuomintang and the Communist Party. Take one aspect, the Kuomintang. In the period of the First United Front, the Kuomintang carried out Sun three great policies of alliance with Russia, cooperation with the Communist Party, and assistance to the peasants and the workers. Hence it was revolutionary and vigorous. It was an alliance of various classes for the democratic revolution. After 1927, however, the Kuomintang changed into its opposite and became a reactionary bloc of the landlords and big bourgeoisie. After the Suan incident in December 1936, it began another change in the direction of ending the civil war and cooperating with the Communist Party for joint opposition to Japanese imperialism. Such have been the particular features of the Kuomintang in the three stages. Of course, these features have arisen from a variety of causes. Now take the other aspect, the Chinese Communist Party. In the period of the First United Front, the Chinese Communist Party was in its infancy. It courageously led the revolution of 1924-27, but revealed its immaturity in its understanding of the character, the tasks, and the methods of the revolution, and consequently it became possible for Chen tzu which appeared during the latter part of this revolution, to assert itself and bring about the defeat of the revolution. After 1927, the Communist Party courageously led the agrarian revolutionary war and created the revolutionary army and revolutionary base areas. However, it committed adventurous errors, which brought about very great losses both to the army and to the base areas. Since 1935, The party has corrected these errors and has been leading the new united front for resistance to japan this great struggle is now developing at the present stage the communist party is a party that has gone through a test of two revolutions and acquired a wealth of experience such have been the particular features of the chinese communist party in the three stages these features too have arisen from a variety of causes without studying both these sets of features We cannot understand the particular relations between the two parties during the various stages of their development. Namely, the establishment of a united front, the breakup of the united front, and the establishment of another united front. What is even more fundamental for the study of the particular features of the two parties is the examination of the class basis of the two parties and the resultant contradictions which have arisen between each party and other forces at different periods. For instance, in the period of its first cooperation with the Communist Party, the Kuomintang stood in contradiction to foreign imperialism and was therefore anti-imperialist. On the other hand, it stood in contradiction to the great masses of the people within the country. Although in words it promised many benefits to the working people, in fact it gave them little or nothing. In the period when it carried on the anti-communist war, the Kuomintang collaborated with imperialism and feudalism against the great masses of the people and wiped out all the gains they had won in the revolution, and thereby intensified its contradictions with them. In the present period of the anti-Japanese war, the Kuomintang stands in contradiction to Japanese imperialism and wants cooperation with the communist party without, however, relaxing its struggle against the Communist Party and the people, or its oppression of them. As for the Communist Party, it has always, in every period, stood with the great masses of the people against imperialism and feudalism, but in the present period of the anti-Japanese war, it has adopted a moderate policy towards the Kuomintang and the domestic feudal forces because the Kuomintang has strongly favoured resisting Japan. The above circumstances have led sometimes to an alliance between the two parties, sometimes to struggle between them, and even during the periods of alliance there has been a complicated state of simultaneous alliance and struggle. If we do not study the particular features of both aspects of the contradiction, we shall fail to understand not only the relations of each party with the other forces, but also the relations between the two parties. It can thus be seen that in studying the particularity of any kind of contradiction, the contradiction in each form of motion of matter, the contradiction in each of its processes of development, the two aspects of the contradiction in each process, the contradiction at each stage of a process, and the two aspects of the contradiction at each stage. In short, in studying the particularity of all these contradictions, We must not be subjective and arbitrary, but must analyze it concretely. Without concrete analysis, there can be no knowledge of the particularity of any contradiction. We must always remember Lenin's insistence on the concrete analysis of concrete conditions. Marx and Engels were the first to provide us with excellent models of such concrete analysis. When Marx and Engels applied the law of contradiction in things to the study of the socio-historical process, They discovered the contradiction between the productive forces and the relations of production. They discovered the contradiction between the exploiting and exploited classes, and also the resultant contradiction between the economic base and its superstructure, politics, ideology, etc. And they discovered how these contradictions inevitably lead to different kinds of social revolution in different kinds of class society. When Marx applied this law, the study of the economic structure of capitalist society, he discovered that the basic contradiction of this society is the contradiction between the social character of production and the private character of ownership. This contradiction manifests itself in the contradiction between the organized character of production in individual enterprises and the anarchic character of production in society as a whole. In terms of class relations, it manifests itself In the contradiction between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Because the range of things is vast, and there is no limit to their development, what is universal in one context becomes particular in another. Conversely, what is particular in one context becomes universal in another. The contradiction in the capitalist system between the social character of production and the private ownership of the means of production is common to all countries where capitalism exists and develops. As far as capitalism is concerned, this constitutes the universality of contradiction, but this contradiction of capitalism belongs only to a certain historical stage, in the general development of class society. As far as the contradiction between the productive forces and the relations of production in class society as a whole is concerned, it constitutes the particularity of contradiction. However, in the course of dissecting the particularity of all these contradictions in capitalist society, Marx gave a still more profound, more pertinent, and more complete elucidation of the universality of the contradiction between the productive forces and the relations of production in class society in general. Since the particular is united with the universal, and since the universality as well as the particularity of contradiction is inherent in everything, universality residing in particularity, we should, when studying an object, Try to discover both the particular and the universal, and their interconnection, to discover both particularity and universality, and also their interconnection within the object itself, and to discover the interconnections of this object with the many objects outside it. When Stalin explained the historical roots of Leninism in his famous work, The Foundations of Leninism, he analysed the international situation in which Leninism arose analyzed those contradictions of capitalism which reached their culmination under imperialism and showed how these contradictions made proletarian revolution a matter for immediate action and created favorable conditions for direct onslaught on capitalism. What is more, he analyzed the reasons why Russia became the cradle of Leninism, why Tsarist Russia became the focus of all the contradictions of imperialism, and why it was possible for the Russian proletariat to become the vanguard of the international revolutionary proletariat. Thus, Stalin analysed the universality of contradiction in imperialism, showing why Leninism is the Marxism of the era of imperialism and proletarian revolution, and at the same time analysed the particularity of Tsarist Russian imperialism within this great contradiction showing why Russia became the birthplace of the theory and tactics of proletarian revolution, and how the universality of contradiction is contained in this particularity. Stalin's analysis provides us with a model for understanding the particularity and universality of contradiction and their interconnection. On the question of using dialectics in the study of objective phenomena, Marx and Engels, and likewise Lenin and Stalin, always enjoin people not to be in any way subjective and arbitrary but from the concrete conditions in the actual objective movement of these phenomena to discover the concrete contradictions, the concrete position of each aspect of every contradiction and the concrete interrelations of the contradictions. Our dogmatists do not have this attitude in study and therefore can never get anything right. We must take warning from their failure and learn to acquire this attitude, which is the only correct one in study." The relationship between the universality and the particularity of contradiction is the relationship between the general character and the individual character of contradiction. By the former we mean that contradiction exists in and runs through all processes from beginning to end. Motion, things, processes, thinking – all are contradictions. To deny contradiction is to deny everything. This is a universal truth for all times and all countries, which admits of no exception. Hence the general character, the absoluteness of contradiction. But this general character is contained in every individual character. Without individual character, there can be no general character. If all individual character were removed, what general character would remain? It is because each contradiction is particular that individual character arises all individual character exists conditionally and temporarily, and hence is relative. The truth concerning general and individual character, concerning absoluteness and relativity, is the quintessence of the problem of contradiction in things. Failure to understand it is tantamount to abandoning dialectics. And that's it for this week. Next week we'll be continuing with this chapter. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, suggestions, you can email leftistreading at gmail.com or contact the show on Twitter at leftistreading. This show is hosted on the Abnormal Mapping Network. You can go to abnormalmapping.com to find this and lots of other leftist podcasts about video games, movies, anime, books. Our intro and outro music is Decisions by Eric Medias. You can find it and more of his work on soundimage.org. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening, and keep reading.